The scripture reading today is from the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 14, verses 13 through 20, and chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. The, Lord of the, wor the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Let's bow before God in prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Mentioned earlier, I hope you will download the sermon notes. I think you will find them helpful as you reflect on some of the verses of Scripture in particular that I'm going to draw to your attention this morning. Next Sunday is going to be the last Sunday in our series of sermons in which we're looking at Paul's letter to the church in Rome, one of the great epistles in our New Testament written within a very short period of time of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection within a 25-year uh, period, probably around the mid-50s of the first century. Last Sunday, as we began looking at the 14th chapter of Romans, we saw that our passage was not so much about the great global and theological issues of life as about matters that at first sight may seem to be rather small and insignificant. Uh, food, what you should or should not eat. Days, what you should or should not observe or count as special on your calendar. And what I said was something like this, that while these matters of food and time may seem to us to be really rather trivial, minor, perhaps even irrelevant, stuff from 2,000 years ago, why should we be bothered about those things today? The fact is, that even in the 21st century, we actually spend a great deal of time thinking about and bickering about our food and about our schedules and our calendars. Uh, whether it's organic or non-organic food, whether it's gluten-free or fat-free or whatever it may be, or 
Our children's schedules, our children's Sunday sports schedules. This was a battle that my generation fought, and I think we probably lost from a Christian point of view, but it's there. It's a tussle within our lives. Our COVID timetables, when are we going to get back to normal? Are we moving too quickly, moving too slowly? We have all kinds of different and sometimes really strongly held opinions about these same old things that people had in a slightly different context but 2,000 years ago. But what I added was this, that these issues of food and timetables are really just symptomatic of other issues that we face and about which we have sometimes very strong opinions and squabbles. They form examples or templates of any issue that might make us hot under the collar. And the broader focus of Romans chapter 14 and the beginning of chapter 15 is simply this. How do we as Christians, how do we as Christians go about sharing our strongly held opinions, engaging with others in discussion? How do we do it as Christians in a way that makes sense and accomplishes whatever it is that we want to accomplish when we hold those discussions in the first place? Is there any advice for touchy issues from the Apostle Paul? from our Lord Jesus in the pages of the Holy Bible. To which, of course, you know that I'm going to respond by saying, well, yes, indeed, there are appropriate words. There is advice. There is guidance from both Paul and Jesus within the pages of the Bible. And the teaching of both the Apostle and Romans and our Lord Jesus in the Gospels is uniform. They are on the same page. And in both cases, they are cautionary. Before you let fly, before you spout forth, before you judge, slow down. Very simple, straightforward, but by golly, it would change the world if we did that. Before you criticize or condemn or demonize, put your Christian brain in gear. And remember first, so this is going back to last week, that you also have a judge. If you're judging someone else, you have a judge. Go slow. Go slow. All of us will be held accountable to God. Not just the person we want to hold accountable right now, but all of us. Remember that. Keep that in mind. And more than that, both Paul and Jesus are not just interested in telling us we're going to be held accountable, but they want our words to be effective. And surely most of the time we do too. When we speak strongly, how are our words going to be effective? How are we going to make sure that we do more good than harm? And Jesus says that if we're going to do more good than harm, we really do have to pay attention to our inner lives, what's going on in our lives. And that's part of slowing down. It's part of prayer as well. Know what's happening within your soul. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 7? First, take out the log from your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck. Things will change perspective when you do that. Take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Sometimes there is a speck in our neighbor's eye. But before we say a thing, deal with ourselves first. So that was last week, and that, in a sense, sets the scene for, for this week. The theme continues in the second half of Romans chapter 14 and the beginning of chapter 15. The passage that we just read is a passage in which the Apostle Paul puts together a couple of theological reflections about the role of the Holy Spirit and about the death of our Lord Jesus that should impact us when we are having 
touchy discussions with others, a couple of theological reflections. Then he provides some very practical steps, things that we really do need to keep in mind to ensure that our opinions and our criticisms are not merely noise, but effective channels of God's grace in the lives of others. So I want us to look at these theological reflections and this short list of things to keep in mind this morning. As we do so, let me first of all ask you to do something. Uh, think about some strongly held opinions that you have, and I know that pretty much all of us here in the sanctuary and watching, we have strong opinions about something or another. Could be about politics on the right or on the left. Could be about the past deadly weeks in Palestine and Israel, one side or the other. Could be about race and racism. And there's discussions that are going on in these matters right now. Could be about the role of science, whether it's in climate change or whether it's uh, about COVID and masks and vaccination. Or even, it just might be for you, that it's about the stuff that we eat or about our calendars all the way back to Romans 14 there. But there's probably something which makes you hot under the collar that you really want to speak about, and perhaps there's somebody you have in mind with this person and that conversation uh, you think might be rather forceful. Keep these issues in your mind as we think about how we discuss things Christianly, in a Christian fashion. First of all, in the context of the Holy Spirit. This is the day of Pentecost. We remember God's gift of the Holy Spirit coming to live uh, in our midst. Sometimes, let me just say as a kind of a side note, uh, we think of the Holy Spirit as mysterious, but the simplest way to understand the Holy Spirit is to say that the Holy Spirit is the intimate presence of God made known in Jesus Christ, active in the world and in our lives. The intimate presence of God made known in Jesus Christ, active in the world and in our lives, close to us, and not just close, before us and behind us, above us and below us, but within us as well. So first of all, passionate discussions. We need to have them sometimes. But as Christians, in the context, first of all, of the Holy Spirit. So verse 17 of chapter 14. This is what the apostle writes. The kingdom of God, and that, by the way, is the same as the kingdom of heaven in the ancient world. God's name was sometimes not mentioned. Heaven was what we call a circumlocution, a way of speaking about God. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in or by the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy by the Holy Spirit. It is not food and drink, the kingdom of God. It is not about forcing our opinions on others about those things which really stir us up. Sharing? Well, yes. Discussing? Yes. But forcing our opinions on others? Mm, no, not so much. But righteousness right relatedness. When the Holy Spirit is in a discussion, there is a passion not just for the subject, but for right relatedness in the midst of those who are having that discussion. And peace, peace. This is not just inner peace, though that is certainly part of it. But the passion of the Holy Spirit is to bring peace and reconciliation, peace in, in connection with reconciliation, peace in connection with the end 
of a war, that kind of peace, or the end of a fight, that kind of peace, so that two people who were opposed to each other might be able to live with each other. The kingdom of God is not food or drink. It's not about forcing our opinions of others, but it's about right relationships. And it is about bringing those who are opposed to one another together. It's about peace. And then joy, the joy of healthy relationships for which we all crave. That's what the Holy Spirit is about. All adds up, by the way, to the word love. These things spell out love, empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we don't have the energy or the power to do it ourselves, the Holy Spirit wants to empower us in this direction. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is present, winning an argument, convincing another person that they are wrong and we are right, is never the only issue. It's not that we don't do it, but it must never stand alone. We must never become reductionistic here because the Holy Spirit is not only concerned with truth, though the Holy Spirit is, but also with love. And those two things side by side, righteousness, right relatedness, peace between warring partners, and the joy that follows, maintaining community. This is the passion of the Holy Spirit for which you and I need to pray. Dixon Host was a person who spent his life as a missionary in China at the beginning of the 20th century. He became, in fact, the second director general of a mission group known as the China Inland Mission. And on one occasion, he spoke about the founder, his mentor, a man by the name of Hudson Taylor, spoke about him like this. He said, I shall never forget the impression made upon me by Hudson Taylor. Again and again, he was obliged to greatly modify or lay aside projects for the mission, which were sound and helpful. In other words, his opinion happened in the end to be right, but which met with determined opposition and so tended to create greater evils in terms of broken relationships than those which might have been removed or mitigated by the changes in question. Here's the problem needs to be solved. Let's do it this way. But then it creates all these other problems, and those problems are worse than this problem to begin with. But then what Dixon Host says is this. Later on, in answer to patient prayer, I saw that many such projects were given effect to. They happened. He held back. But in holding back, God didn't hold back. God was at work but he held back because the relationships were just as important to him as all of his projects, all of his great ideas for God, which were good ideas, godly ideas. But he didn't want to create more harm than good along the way. And this, says Paul, is part of the work of the, the Holy Spirit, strength and patience to balance uh, what we think is right and important with the power of love. That's the first theological point. Second theological point it's about the death of our Lord Jesus, the death of our Lord Jesus, and remembering that the person with whom we're having a discussion or an argument or a fight, that person with whom we disagree is not just an ignorant person who doesn't get it or an idiot or the enemy. That person is of such value to God that Jesus sacrificed his life for that person. This is a person for whom Christ died. Try keeping that in your mind. We will need the power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of a fight to keep that in our minds. Paul writes 
In chapter 14 of Romans and at verse 15, do not let what you eat, your personal cause, whatever it may be, cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So once again, who is this person with whom we disagree, who just doesn't get it or see what we think they need to see? This is a person treasured as they are and valued by God. Jesus was willing to sacrifice his life for them, to die for them. Even as we oppose them, are we willing to give ourselves to them in any way, shape, or form? This is a person, one for whom Christ died. It's almost as if that's a title that Paul gives to this person who's on the other side of the discussion from us. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but in many conflictual situations, one of the things that we tend to do, and others tend to do, I think all of us tend to do, is to rename our opponent, which then justifies our way of dealing with our opponent. In war, the opponent becomes the target. In abortion, it's just the fetal matter. In race, well, it's the N-word or some other word that we want to use on one side or the other against somebody else. We ratchet up the level of naming somebody else. In anti-Semitism, or the genocide in Rwanda, it's vermin or cockroaches, dehumanization. And in general, well, for many of us, it's that idiot or that deplorable person or those elites, whatever they are, you've heard them all over the news at all kinds of different times. And those words to us begin to be the justification for the way we treat others. Whereas for Paul in Romans, and by the way, he was not perfect himself, he did some name-calling in his time. When the Holy Spirit is at work, we begin to rename people through the lens of Jesus. This person, no matter what I think about them here, this person is one for whom Christ died. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis engages in positive renaming, not the negative kind, but positive renaming like this. He says, it may be possible for someone to think too much of his own potential glory. It is hardly possible for him or her to think too often or too deeply about that of his or her neighbor. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. That's a sort of a name, mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of an act but it is immortals. That's his renaming. That person in front of you is an immortal, but it is immortals with whom we joke and work and marry and snub and exploit. And then he concludes with this. It's a statement that I've used not too long ago, uh, quoting Lewis. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. You should turn to your neighbor just now and say, you are one for whom Christ died, you are a holy object in the sight of God. Hard to remember in the heat of battle, but this is our goal as Christians. We need the Holy Spirit's work in all of this, empowering us beyond our own natural strength. And Paul reflects on this theological background in Romans chapter 14, the Holy Spirit's power to make sure that we remember not only our issue, but righteousness and peace and joy and the names that we call others, one for whom Christ died. But then, in addition to these theological 
background issues on the Holy Spirit and the death of our Lord Jesus. In the third place, in Romans 14, Paul provides a list of very practical steps and thoughts for engagement in passionate discussion, steps that put uh, this theology into practice. So there are lists that we can draw out from Romans 14, and I've drawn out a list which has within it some things that we need to start and some things we need to stop if our strong and passionate discussions are to be healthy. So what has to start? Well, number one, chapter 14 of Romans and at verse 19, pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In my words, is this what I am pursuing? We need to ask, well, what am I saying? Will it actually lead to positive transformation, to growth, to the right outcome? Or will I just win the argument? What will the outcome be? Remember, God is interested in our words being effective. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, when he speaks about love, that when we don't have it, we're just noisy gongs or clanging cymbals. And sometimes in our arguments, is that what we are? Just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal? Pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Number two, this too has to start. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak. If we think that we're right, that we're the strong ones, Jesus and Paul are unanimous in this, then the ball is in our court to make sure that things go well. So we think that somebody doesn't get it, that they're an idiot, they need to know what we know. If we feel that superior, then we are responsible for controlling the way that that discussion goes and making sure that it is Christ-like. If we think that's who we are, will it build up or not? Number three, after we who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak. Number three, do not please ourselves or yourselves. Instead, each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose, once again, of building up the neighbor. Do I genuinely want the best for my neighbor, or do I genuinely just want to tell my neighbor what I think? I know there have been plenty times when that actually, when I examine my motive, is exactly what I want to do. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, says Paul, don't do that. Hold on. Do not do that. Let me add, this is especially important in social media. It's especially important on Zoom. It's especially important in emails. And people cannot see your body language. It's remarkable how the words we say without really thinking do not communicate what we would like to communicate. Or maybe they do. Maybe they communicate our inner soul instead of the right stuff to bring healing. It's hard work to discuss anything of any controversial nature online. Number four, no longer pass judgment on one another. And ever put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. And do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Is there anything not vital to my mission in confronting another that I've just put in there which adds a little twist to what's being said and I just have to take it out? Is there anything in my arguing which might lead me to win? So I win the discussion, but I lose a friend. I lose my credibility. And maybe 
I even lose the high ground for the issue about which I feel so passionate. Dale Carnegie once said, just suppose that you do triumph over the other person, shoot his argument full of holes, prove that this person is out of their mind, then what? Sure, you'll feel fine, but what about him or her? You have made them feel inferior. You've hurt their pride, and thus they will resent your triumph. And inevitably, I would say, they will continue, even though they have been proven wrong, to think ill of the cause for which you stand, right and righteous though it may be. What good is that if you win, but you lose? When I think of this list, and when I think of God's Holy Spirit's passion for right-relatedness and peace and the joy that comes from that, and when I think of what I might want to call my adversaries and that God wants me to think of them as people for whom Christ died, I can think of many an occasion which these have been very far from my mind. I have not followed what the Scripture teaches. I can also think of people who also forgot these things, and I was right in front of them at the time, and how painful that was to be at the other end of that. But thank God, I can also think of others who've lived out these lessons in the power of the Spirit, and they too have influenced my life greatly. One of them is a woman whom some of us remembered yesterday online in her memorial service exactly one year after her death. Her name is Marge Birnbaum, and many of you know Marge. Among other things, Marge led our sandwich-making ministry with Martha's Table that we will be engaging in again this afternoon on the streets of D.C. And once again, whether it's for the folks on the streets of D.C. or in honor of Marge, I hope you will make many sandwiches and bring them to the church this afternoon between two and three. But Marge was no wallflower. She was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ with a strong personality and plenty of opinions. But those of us who knew her also knew that without exception, the person she was talking with even if it was strong, was as important, if not more important to her than the issue she was discussing. You knew that. You knew that. And that's what God wants to see within all our lives. Seeking the help of the Holy Spirit to balance our strong opinions with right relatedness and peace and the joy that follows from that. Lord, you take control when I'm not in control. And help me to name other people correctly. This is one for whom you gave your life, one for whom Christ died. And give me that patience that I lack to follow this list all the way down so that my words build up and don't destroy. And do this, Lord, now, today, Pentecost, the day in which we remember the Holy Spirit. No better day than today for these changes to take place. So, Lord, be our helper. Let us pray. Lord Most High, hear the cries of our hearts. Help us to be the people you want us to be and the people 
that we want to be. Not weak in the sense of backing off those things that are important, but strong and loving and faithful as we deal with the real issues of life. So bless us and make us a blessing for the sake of Jesus who died for us all. Amen.